Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. So the first reading is Ruth, chapters 1, verses 6 through 22. Beginning at the first verse. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought that there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second reading is also from Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, beginning at the 13th verse. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, 
Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1913, a French agricultural engineer named Maximilian Ringelmann noticed something odd about human behavior. To test his observation, he took some people and he told them to pull on a rope one at a time. And he watched what they did. And then he took those same people and said, okay, all together now, all of you, pull on the rope. And what he saw became known as the Ringelman effect. And this is what he saw. He saw that when an individual pulled on the rope, they put forth as much effort as they possibly could. But when all of them got together and pulled on the rope, each person put forth less effort than when they were pulling on their own. Some of you Air Force guys probably and ladies probably know this from uh, boot camp. It's social loafing. It's when you're all supposed to be pulling on that log, and some of you aren't. And we all have this idea in our head about who that is. Well, <laughs> Maximilian Ringelman, he's the one who saw it first in 1913. He, he found that when, when we are the sole beneficiary of a reward, we try as hard as we can. But when we are sharing the benefits with others, we exert less effort and take less responsibility. And the Ringelman effect is now a widely accepted truth about our base impulses. We humans will shrink from responsibility when given the opportunity. Kind of a sad, sorry way to start a sermon, but you had some cheerful music earlier, so I feel like. <laughs> Truth is, though, Ringelman might have saw it in 1913, but the Bible knew this about us thousands of years before. And before we get to the book of Ruth, we start with the book of Judges that precedes Ruth. And at the very end of the book of Judges, leading right into Luke, or Ruth, Ruth rather, is this sentence that tells us what's going on in Ruth. It's the final sentence that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. This was a time when Israel did not have a king to protect them or to set a moral example. And the opening sentence of Ruth affirms this time frame by saying, In the days when the judges ruled. That's all they had. It is coded language in the Bible to tell us that this is a state of decline in Israel. And the people were experiencing a moral decay, and they only did enough to take care of themselves. It was a difficult time in Israel's history. 
where it was really easy to walk away from those in need, especially when there was no familial duty compelling someone to take responsibility. And there is perhaps no relationship more justifiably walked away from than an in-law relationship, especially when the spouse is gone and there are no children in the picture to keep those in-laws tied together. And that's the situation that Naomi and her daughters-in-law find themselves in. I mean, the term in-law is almost a euphemism for someone you need to get away from. Don't deny it, okay? I remember, <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, uh, we would go to my, my mother's family for Christmas, and my dad would find any excuse there was to, to run an errand to the gas station, right? And I didn't realize what that was about until I was an adult and was at my in-law's house, and I was like, you know, I think we need some ice. I'll go get it. In-law relationships, they are tenuously held together. And when the spouse is out of a picture, there is no reason to feel responsible still. And that is so very true in this ancient text. That is the case for Naomi and for Orpah and Ruth. Now in the verses before our reading, before, before we get to that, we, we learn that Naomi has lost her husbands and two sons. She is as destitute as a woman in the ancient world could be. And so she says to her daughters-in-law, go home. You are still young enough to have a future. Go to your gods, go to your people, forget about me. And Orpah, well, she demonstrates just how easy it should be for Ruth to walk away. She kisses her mother-in-law and she walks away. But I don't think that Orpah does this because she is particularly immoral or particularly self-interested. I do think that that is something the book of Ruth is wrestling with, but I also look at our culture and I think of the Ringelman effect and I wonder how easy it is for us to assume responsibility is going to be taken by someone else. Now that is not always a bad assumption, especially when we have a culture where there are systems in place. There are systems all around us in place that tell us that the people we see who are less fortunate, they are going to be taken care of in some way. There is some social network available to them to take responsibility for them. And I experienced this myself when I was a reading coach at uh, West Haven Elementary over in Belleville. I, when, in the reading programs at, at schools, you tend to get kids who come from less fortunate families, right? So there was one little girl, her name was Carrie, who just absolutely pulled at my heartstrings. She was just this little first grader. She, she was so sweet and so cute, and she was really, really well-behaved. Um, but her kind of disheveled hair that needed a haircut and her clothes that were just a little too small, they kind of told a different story about her. You know, you just got the idea that this was a little girl from a family that had an, too much on her plate and probably didn't have everything they always needed to take care of this little girl. But West Haven had a social worker, a guidance counselor, and a school nurse that checked up on kiddos like this. And there was free breakfast and free lunch programs at this school, and so I knew that Carrie had at least two good meals a day. With all that in place, I truly, it didn't even occur to me that she wasn't taken care of, that there was anything more that I needed to do for Carrie. I had a job, I did it. 
That is the sort of system in place that gave me peace of mind. And those are the sorts of systems that are in place in Ruth and Naomi's lives. Israel didn't have a king. They absolutely didn't have a king. They didn't have a moral compass. But they did have some rules. All right? God did lay some rules down in front of them. And that is what Ruth would depend on when she made this incredible choice to take responsibility for Naomi. Ruth relied on a social system called gleaning. All right? Gleaning is when farmers would leave the edges of their fields. They wouldn't plow those or pluck them or harvest from them at the end of a season. And that meant that widows and orphans and foreigners could come after the harvest was done and they could, they could glean what was left. And it was just enough of a social system to make sure that these people did not starve. That was the choice Ruth made. To stay and avoid starvation with Naomi. She took responsibility where she did not have to, and she relied on a system built to help them avoid starvation. And as bleak as that is, this beginning chapter, there is something still truly divine about this responsibility she takes. Something divine in her willingness to commit to Naomi's unseen and insecure future without being compelled by a law or a king or anything else. It is absolutely evidence that God is dwelling in this relationship as bitter and broken as it seems and feels to them both. But when you cut to that final chapter that Jim read, you'll notice that God didn't just dwell in this relationship. God got to work. God honored Ruth's willingness to take responsibility by weaving her in to this big story of Israel's salvation. We wouldn't have King David or Jesus without Ruth the Moabite. God sees to it that this Boaz, another person, steps up and takes responsibility where he didn't need to. He gets involved. Now we read, like I said, just the beginning and end of this story. So when you get a chance, read all three chapters of Luke. You could do it on the way home. It is just a delightful little story. And when you do that, you will see in those in-between parts this guy, Boaz, who starts out by just doing the letter of the law. He does. He leaves the edges of his field for Naomi to, well, for Ruth to glean. And that's enough. He's done his part. But God pushes. And by the final chapter, God, who wills more than simply surviving, puts in place this man who takes more responsibility, who goes above and beyond and marries Ruth and provides for her and Naomi, and they put into their hands this little baby. They are grandparents to kings. Ruth and Boaz show us that it is divine and royal to take responsibility. So after a few weeks of working with this little girl, Carrie, it was obvious that she needed more than a reading coach. So I started taking her to the Title I reading teacher, Miss Mayer, in the school. And I would pick her up out of her classroom, and I would walk her down to the Title I classroom to Mrs. Mayer, and I would drop her off for 20 minutes, and then I'd collect her afterwards and take her back to her classroom. And after a few weeks of doing this, I noticed something. When Carrie came out of Mrs. Mayer's room, 
Her hair was combed. And a few times she even had little barrettes pulling back her bangs out of her eyes. So I peeked in the door. And I saw one of these days, Mrs. Mayer had a little box with a comb and barrettes and a little mirror inside, and she had written Carrie's name on it. And she kept it in Carrie's cubby. It is absolutely true that the system was taking care of Carrie. Her base human needs were met. But a Ruth stepped up and brought her joy. Taking responsibility in relationships we don't have to take responsibility in is divine activity, brothers and sisters. That is what Ruth and Naomi have to teach us. Now, there are times, God knows there are years, when taking responsibility for one more thing seems impossible. And especially for those of you sitting in these church pews, who I know good and well do not need me to tell you the story of Ruth, to know that you are called by God to take responsibility. I know you know that. I see it. But for those of us who are questioning if we can keep doing it, if we can keep stepping up, if we can keep bringing joy, we need to know that this story is absolutely about an ancient woman named Ruth who took responsibility for Naomi, but it is also absolutely pointing us to the story of Jesus who took responsibility for us. That is what you came to hear today. You came to hear that Jesus came down from heaven and walked among us when he did not have to. You came to hear today that he went to the cross and took on our sin when he did not have to. You came to hear that he left in you a piece of his Holy Spirit when he didn't have to. And it is that story of divine responsibility taken on your account that gives you the courage and strength to rise above our base human impulses that ask for only so much and gives you the courage to answer the question, who is taking care of this one? Yes, Lord, it is me. The willingness to enter into saving and redeeming relationships for no other reason than to share in the unknown future of a neighbor and the possibility that you might be part of their journey from bitterness to joy. Thanks be to God for the saints who are our witnesses. And thanks be to God for the saints of faith. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. 
Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you. And I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.